This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today I have back with me Kyron Samuels, ex-AFL and Division I offensive lineman. A good one at that. First of all, I hope that came out sounding all right because we're still sorting <laughs> through some stuff. And it's supposed to sound better to you than it sounds to me. That's the way that it, it's, it's essentially explained. But how are you doing today, Kyron? I'm doing good, man. Good to already cover some Monday Night Football, hit on some stuff that we haven't hit on. But uh, interesting night of football, man. Interesting night of football, for sure. It was. It was, it, it, you know, it's a division game, so it was closer than I expected. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's it, those games are close at times. But um, I did expect the, the Chiefs to cover. Obviously, that was not the case. All right. Today, we are going to be talking about Monday Night Football. We're going to talk about Kyron's Performer of the Week and Offensive Line of the Week. We're going to do a little weekly roundup where we touch on some things that we haven't talked about together yet, mostly regarding the week that was in football, and of course, bounce off my weekly power rankings at the moment. So, let's jump right into it, man. Monday Night Football, it was the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Las Vegas Raiders playing in Kansas City at Arrowhead. Early, the Raiders looked like they were making a real game of it. And let's be honest, it was pretty close at the end, too. But Chiefs did their thing. They came back, threw four touchdown passes to Travis Kelsey. And he, uh, he of course, once again solidified himself as the tight end one in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes did Patrick Mahomes stuff. Um, you know, it wasn't a dominant performance, but it's you know it was a, a good, solid win for them. There's a little drama at the end of the game, unfortunately, which we will definitely comment on here in a second but what was your number one takeaway from this divisional matchup um so so there's two things really that i, I left the game uh, and just couldn't stop thinking about <clears throat> and then one uh, and i didn't think anything would overshadow the officiating but uh josh mcdaniel's late game situation with play call then was just like not only was it just bad it was just confusing it's like I'll get into Josh Jacobs' performance in a second, but when a guy has a performance like that, um, your defense got you to stop at the end. You know, they had the very, very terrible holding call on the on the field goal. We'll get into the officiating too, but your defense finds a way to get a stop and, and hold them to a field goal and give you a chance to win the game. Um, and if I was a defender on that team, I'd be pissed. If I was if I was an offensive lineman on that on the Raiders, I'd be pissed. If I was a running back, if I was Josh Jacobs, uh, I couldn't look him in the eye like. Uh, you have to be able to trust your guys in that situation. And I just think that it was plenty of time. 40 seconds is not an eternity, but it's plenty of time to get the first down, get the ball up, clock it, um, getting your two-minute offense and getting the field goal range. They would have had a first down, um, you know, almost to midfield in that, at that point. So that's the number one thing that I left the game thinking about. It's just like, why? You know, you played above expectation. Um, like, like you said, a lot of people were expecting the Chiefs to cover and, um, the Chiefs have, you know, proven to be one of the best teams in the NFL for the last five years. So you've had a very good chance to go into Arrowhead and beat them. Why? And then number two, I left the game thinking about is the officiating, how horrible it is just all the way around. Um, and I think it's starting to become a problem all over the NFL. Um, but 
obviously, man, the terrible rough in the past they call on Chris Jones. I mean, uh, so a bunch of people were tweeting it out, but they're like, how do you rough the passer if you have the ball? Like, he literally had the ball. Uh, he's like, you are the passer at that point. Like, I'm the quarterback at that point. I have the ball. Like, so, um, obviously a terrible call. And I think he had some, you know, pretty cool insight on it. He was saying that um, after the game that, hey, if you're going to call these things to protect the quarterback, fine, let's do that. However, there needs to be a review system in play. If we can review everything else, we need to be able to review plays like that. And, and I think that's the right thing. Um, however, they'll probably screw that up too. But at least the intent of the rule will be to like have some, a little bit of oversight on these calls because um, you can't allow these to take over games like you have been. The Grady Jerry situation in Tampa, Chris Jones um, last night. And then, you know, conversely, uh, and, and rightfully so, there's people mad on the Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes got slammed a couple of times and there wasn't a call. So there's no consistency with it. Um, but that, and then I've never seen that play, uh, the holding call on the field goal. I haven't seen that call uh, ever to my rec- recollection. And somebody actually pulled the stat. Uh, I wish I remember the name so I could give them proper credit. But it hadn't been called in six years. Uh, think about that, the amount of extra points and field goals we've had in the NFL over the last six years. And the last person to get one was Khalil Mack six years ago. Um, just a terrible call, uh, even more terrible considering the situation. Um, you know, yeah. they, they finally get, they, they, they hold them, they get them uh, to uh, kick a field goal. They miss the field goal, the Chiefs, and they call that, and, you know, they get a fresh set of downs and they're getting a field goal, and they end up being the decider on the game. So uh, terribly unfortunate for uh, the Raiders, but – uh, we can highlight some more individual performance. I want to kind of see uh, what you thought of uh, the individual performances. But overall, what I left the game thinking about was Josh McDaniels isn't serious, and uh, the play, the officiating is terrible. So I want to hear what you had to say about like uh, Devontae Adams maybe or Josh Jacobs because you know they balled out. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's, the weirdest thing about that is there is some version of holding on basically every play in the NFL by by the true letter of the law right and right. it they really they try to call it when it's egregious and it directly impacts the play sometimes it feels like they just call it whenever they want to but i think everybody knows that holding on a field goal doesn't affect the play so there's probably holding on just about every field goal attempt ever or extra point or whatever but why why now what what was what was I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> but as far as the individual performances go, I mean, look, Devontae Adams is just—he just shows what he can do every single week. His his releases and route running are incredible. So I think my favorite one was the the—I guess it was a stutter go. It was so subtle, like I don't know. If it's almost more of a go route, but he he catches the defender. Um, on on that one, I guess I think it was basically a seam. I forget exactly where he started from, but it was it was basically like a seam route. It probably came out of the slot, and um, just such a such a quick. He doesn't even really turn his body, nothing. But he's just so sudden that he gets gets guys on on all those moves. Um, it, you know, they almost had a chance to even win it at the end. I mean, he caught that ball. He got his foot in bound. He probably would have got the other foot in bound. He, the way that I interpreted it was that he only lifted his leg up so that it wouldn't, he wouldn't get hit in the knee by the defender flying towards his legs. And it's like, that's, that's kind of a tough situation where it's like, you know, you either have a, a catch to win the game basically, and maybe get 
hurt really, really badly or or just lift your leg up and go out of bounds. You know, it's tough. So it's like they even had themselves in, in, in the position to win it. Josh Jacobs was playing incredibly well. Obviously, you, you mentioned him. And, um, you know, he has had so much conversation surrounding him since he was drafted high. And the reality is I don't think it's that big of a deal to draft a running back in the first round as long as it's late in the first round. Um, I think it's risky because you really have to find like an incredible player to, to justify it though. And he hasn't really been incredible, but he's been good. And tonight was one of his better performances that he's had. And you know, Travis Kelsey, again, wide receiver one. We talked about that before. He is the wide out one for, for the chiefs. Um, there is probably two, three, maybe four tight ends who are capable of being the number one receiver in their offense. And Travis Kelsey is the biggest one we highlighted. Mark Andrews yesterday. I think George Kittle can be, but he's not healthy often enough to probably really get that, especially now that Debo's on that team. And I think the last one would be Kyle Pitts. You know, he has an opportunity to be a legitimate uh, tight end one. But, um, man, I don't know. I don't really know how I feel about the game in general. It, it, it had big plays. It had incredible pass rush. I mean, Max Crosby is, you know, basically picked up where he left off last year. He's playing out of his mind. I saw you tweeting about Chandler Jones a lot last night. I, I would say that I his performance kind of went under the radar for me a little bit. Max Crosby flashed a bit more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what to say? The Chiefs won a game. You know, yeah, <laughs> you know what like, I mean? <laughs> yeah, I want to, like... I want to talk about Josh Jacobs a little bit more here for a second because um, the overall sentiment about his career seems to be like more close to what you're saying as far as like he's just he hasn't been great but he's been good and to me it's like I want to push back on all of that because I see it from and it's not just you it's everybody even like national big pundits and I'm like what is the expectation for a first round running back and I think he's surpassed and exceeded all expectation and he gets disrespected on a level uh, primarily by the Raiders that I've just never seen before from a guy with this production. So I, I want to read off a little bit of his stats. Um, his rookie season, he had 240 carries for 1,500 yards, excuse me, uh, 1,150 yards, 4.8 yards per carry, seven touchdowns. Comes back in 2020, 273 carries, 1,065 yards, four yards per carry, 12 touchdowns. Uh, last year, because he was injured most of the season, uh, carries were way down and still gave you 872 yards, nine touchdowns. This year, uh, and you have to remember, over the first three weeks of the season, the Raiders were dead lasting in attempts rushing. So he wasn't getting the ball as much as he should have. But now he's up to 91 carries, 490 yards, 5.4 yards per carry, a career high, and three touchdowns. He's also sitting in third in the rushing in the NFL behind Saquon uh, and Nick Chubb. And, that, you know, he's been incredible as a running back, primary running back. But his prowess as a receiver is overlooked, in my opinion, as well. Um, he's gone over a thousand scrimmage yards every year he's been in the NFL, and it's, it's been by a significant margin. Um, he's on pace to do that right now. He's already nearing 600 uh, scrimmage yards, three touchdowns. He's averaging uh, the highest yards per carry and the second highest uh, re reception per uh, average of his career. I think that he's been above what you would expect a first round running back to be. And for some reason, and this is funny because it's like, I think I'm like way in the minority here. And the Raiders seem to echo that sentiment because they don't want to pay him. And you know how it goes to running backs. You know, um, 
they can find a younger guy. You, somebody can come in and be productive. And, but somebody will end up paying Josh Jacobs. And I just don't understand uh, what the disconnect is. Maybe it's because he's not, like, flashy like a Saquon. He's not as marketable. Or I just don't get it. But the production has been there uh, behind subpar offensive line play. Um, in the, yeah, time. well, that's the thing, man. I, I Look, first of all, I will say that I know uh, – I. Kyron, if anybody doesn't know this already, he's a big Bama fan, so you will oh, yeah, always yeah, find yeah. A, a little a little touch of bias towards the Bama players, which is which I, I get. But first, first of all, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think one of the main reasons that this that this narrative cropped up comes from a the Raiders drafting Cleveland Farrell and Jonathan Abram in that same first round <laughs> class, and that kind of colored everything. You know, it's like yeah. they reach here. Then they take a safety, which is not considered good value. Then they take a running back, which is not considered good value. Even though he was considered a very good back coming out of Alabama. like it, it, I don't think it was really that much about him. The other thing is that they have, you know, they had a good offensive line when they drafted him. Um, I mean, they still had Rodney Hudson at that point. They still had uh, Gabe... Uh, what's his name? Gabe Jackson yeah. was there, I believe. Gabe Jackson. And, uh, they, you know, they still had a pretty good offensive line when they drafted him. But a lot of older players, and a lot of it comes down to the fact that a running back, I think the way that I would phrase it is this. There is a ceiling that is on a running back's productivity if he plays behind a bad offensive line. Right, it's just it is what it is. It's it's hard to ever overcome an offensive line if you're getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage or at the line repeatedly. Um, and people viewed the Raiders' process for team building as subpar, and I think he was kind of just a, a small piece of that. That rather than like a a real focal point of it. Um, and here's the other thing. I just want to say this. How many running backs put up the stats that you just listed off? And I'm not throwing shade, but like the reality is breaking a thousand yards as a rusher is not super uncommon. We don't we don't need first round running backs to do that, right? I mean, one thousand one hundred yards, it's you know, you can get that in a lot of second round running backs. You can get that in third round running backs, you can get that even in sometimes in fourth round running backs, you know what I mean? Like they might not be as dynamic, but the production you can manage if you do have the good offensive line play and it's a part of a, an offensive, you know, infrastructure. So, I mean, how do you feel about that as an offensive lineman? I mean, you. Well, I agree with I agree with the take for the most part because um, you have to have uh, at least a serviceable offensive line to be productive. It's just there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Um, but in this particular case, I think that, uh, you know, he's overachieved by any any stretch of the imagination. And, and that's the only thing I disagree with what you said. I agree with everything you said, but it's hard to break a thousand yards still, no matter where you are. Um, as a running back, simply because you have to, one, make it through a 16-game, 17-game now schedule healthy. It's probably the hardest position to stay healthy at. Uh, it's also yeah, uh, one of the hardest it's also one of the hardest situations when um, they've had Derek Carr and they've thrown the ball a ton. Uh, 
and he's had a lot of yards, right? But Waller's probably been their number one guy. There is no problem. He's been their number one guy, him and Renfro, for the last um, three seasons. And that doesn't really break the top off of defenses. You have to be accountable for it, but it's not necessarily taking guys out of the box. Hunter Renfro's lined up in the slots, not necessarily taking guys out of the box and making it easier for the run game. Um, and, and when you do throw the ball that much, especially on the early downs, it makes it hard for the running back um, to have those big, uh, long runs and be able to get there when the defense is softened up. And he's not getting those looks as much. I think, and, you know, I don't have a problem with them taking it late in the first round. I think I'm one of the guys that's like running backs matter. Like, you look everywhere over the NFL over the last, you know, however many years, and running backs have, have saved the day for teams. Even last year, um, Cam Akers in, in the playoffs coming back, and I remember he was only getting like 50, 60 yards, but they were massive yards in those games. He was getting first downs after first downs, keeping them ahead of the sticks. Uh, you go a, a year uh, before that, uh, playoff Lenny, Leonard Fournette, shined in the playoffs. And, and without him, they don't win that Super Bowl. You go the year before that um, with with the Chiefs, and I think that Damian Williams should have been – I don't think – I know he should have been the Super Bowl MVP over Patrick Mahomes that year because without him, they don't succeed there. Um, you can even look in the Packers' success without those running backs. I say that to say complimentary football um, is the best situation for everybody. And I don't think it's easy, nor should we overlook guys producing at this level, uh, especially uh, with the receiving prowess as well. Like I said, uh, like I said he's had uh, 20 catches, 33, 54, 17 already this year. Uh, he's gone over 200 yards every year um, receiving as well. When you add those, you know, those total scrimmage yards, he's been as good as anybody, man. And um, availability yeah, is uh, but I, I say that to say, what the hell was Josh McDaniels thinking on third and one, fourth and one? Uh, I, I said all that to make my final point about the decision making. It was like, you have a guy <laughs> that has probably been underutilized and produced at this level. And you finally give him the rock the last couple of weeks. He breaks his career high last week, comes back this week and does it again. Yeah, he was averaging 7.4 yards per carry last night. And he doesn't touch the rock on third and one and fourth and one in the most important situation in the game. And I saw somebody say, uh, well, he gave it to them on uh, the two-point conversion play, yada, yada. First of all, I think that was dumb. You got Hunter Renfro <laughs> and Devontae Adams. Uh, you had to be more creative there, and I'm a proponent of running the rock. However, he still got a yard on that play. He got positive yardage. He didn't get stopped in the backfield. That wasn't a situation in third and fourth and one where they needed to score points. They just needed to get a yard. And you're telling me that the guy who averaged 7.4 yards per carry over the course of the night wasn't going to get you one of those. And I just think that, um, like I said, if I was a player on that team, I would be furious because you take the ball out of your best player's hand, and he was your best player last night. Um, as an offensive lineman specifically, I would be extremely pissed because it's like you don't trust me to get a yard twice. Cool. Third down, I'm fine with it. Like, let's try to shake it up. We got fourth down to go. But twice, you don't trust us to get one yard to keep the chains moving? Um I think when you have a guy, a running back of that caliber, and like you said, uh, it was controversial to take him there, but you have him now. A guy of that caliber, you drafted him in the first round, he's producing for you at this level. You better go to that guy. Like, why else did you take him if you're not going to use him in these situations? Um, I think yeah. when you look well, at Well, to, to be fair, they didn't take him. I mean, I will say that. It's different, right. I mean, different management, right. but. Yeah, he's But I get though. you. Like, you have to use him like. Um, I know he probably doesn't care at the end of the day. Like, he's having a career. He's on pace to have a career year. So 
he doesn't probably won't really care at the end of the day about that, but I know his offensive line is in that meeting room either uh, today or tomorrow, whenever they're going to have their next meeting, and they're watching that film. They're pissed off about that because 21 carries, 7.3 yards per carry. Even if you wanted to dial up for him in, in the passing game, give him some mm-hmm. a short yard. If he had five carries for thir- uh, excuse me, five catches for 39 yards and a 7.8 average, like you're running all these mm-hmm. guys down the field, sneak him out in the flag, get him involved in, or get him on an angle route or option route, like. Find a way to get that guy the ball in that situation. That's my biggest hang-up. And I want to get one more shot up before we move on, and that's to Devon Diablo, a linebacker for um, the Raiders. It felt like they called his name almost every play on defense. Like, he was always around the ball making plays. I know the obvious Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, they were in the backfield all night. Uh, Chandler was probably a little bit more disruptive to me. He just didn't get to finish the tackles as much. Like, Max finished. He got the sacks. He got the TFLs. And Chandler was just disruptive and, and busting up stuff. So, Obviously, shout out to those guys, but Devon Diablo has been going on the radar, playing very, very good football, so kudos to him. I don't know why I have this bad taste in my mouth about this game, because it, like I didn't, as as much as I love football and as much as I love talking about football, there was just something, and maybe this even came across, but there was just something about me that just was didn't want to talk about this game. Like I, I don't <laughs> know, maybe it's just a disappointment factor. I mean... I don't know. Well, a lot of people echo your sentiment. Like, and I wasn't one of those people because I predicted the Raiders to win, and I took the Raiders plus seven. So I was like, either way, I won out at the end. But <laughs> a lot of people shared your sentiment. I think a lot of people took them to cover, and they came out there and, and kind of jerked off for the first couple of series and didn't do really anything <laughs> special. So and then you get towards yeah. the end of the game, you're like, okay, they're finally going to get it. We're, we're here. They're about to cover. And then they blow it and don't cover, so everybody's pissed <laughs> off about it. But I was one of those people that – I thought the Raiders were going to go in there and win, and they could have. Uh, I do want to ask you before we move on, how did you feel about him going for two there um, instead of kicking the field goal to tie it up 30-30? I wasn't as I'm mad fine. as that. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't as mad as that as I was at the end, but I know a lot of people killed him for that one. But that was interesting to me. Nah, because, nah I mean, it, it depends. That's a game flow thing for me. You know, we talked about this the other day. Like, I don't think there's a single correct answer. I think, I think you know, It, you got to take your shot when you when you have it against Patrick Mahomes in that offense like and vice versa I mean look I I I'm fine with it I think part of yeah. the reason is I don't I don't really love to see teams in this place where the Raiders are right now coming off of a disappointing loss I mean they were 1 and 3 going into this game their season was kind of on the line if we're being perfectly honest about it I mean how many teams come back from one and four especially in a, a, a very challenging division and they're right there they they almost convert and and then it's over and then you just see them so frustrated that Devonte Adams is pushing the guy on the sideline and it's just it's <laughs> a bad look and it just compounds you know one thing on top yeah. of another and I think I think the reason I didn't want to come in and talk about this that much is just because I don't I don't to be perfectly honest, I, I've i never really been a big Russell Wilson fan. I've always felt that he was really fake. And so, like, there's – I'm a little bit more casual about dissing him, I guess, based right. on the way that this season is going. I don't really have anything against Derek Carr. I don't have anything against Devontae Adams. I mean, you know, Mike McDan- – I mean, uh, Josh McDaniel, I don't – love how he's handled himself in certain situations particularly the Colts 
you know, head coaching job. But but ultimately, like, I don't really want to see people fail. So I'm not going to relish it. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I, I'll leave I'll leave this one to you to be a little bit more judgmental of the play calling and everything. And, and I just I'll, yeah. I'll be the one to say, offer condolences. To <laughs> yeah, you don't have to say yeah. that I will. He was terrible yesterday. He's been terrible all year. Um, <laughs> and the proof's in the pudding. Like, and, you know, I'm good friends with um, Sean Reed, a, a athletic beat writer for the Raiders. And, and he sometimes he just tells me about the mood of the team. And it's just like, sometimes I imagine it's not good. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes he says, you know, I don't want to say too much, but sometimes guys are just running out of the locker room. They don't want to talk to me. They don't want to talk to anybody. They're just that fed up and distaste and the, that chases in their mouth from the performances in the game. So um, it's not a good environment right now, one. Um, two, the, the money distribution is very top-heavy. Like, there's a yeah. few guys getting paid a lot, and there's guys making pennies and guys that deserve more that aren't getting paid. So I haven't heard anything about that, but I imagine that it's a very strenuous situation in the locker room because there's guys that are outperforming the guys that are getting paid a lot and they aren't getting paid anything or there's a Josh Jacobs that is overproduced um, in his situation essentially and hasn't gotten paid. So I imagine that's the situation. And then, um, you know, the organization has to be fed up too. So they, they have some decisions to make going forward. I don't think McDaniels is going to get canned right away, but uh, maybe you have to look at some positional coach changes. Like something has to be done. They've had five different um excuse me, 10 different offensive line uh, groups in five games. I mean, there has to be an NFL record. I, I guarantee you there's not been anything close. The Jets haven't had that, and they've had much more injury problems than uh, anybody in that group. So um, mm-hmm. overall, it's dysfunctional, and that's why you have a 1-4 record. When you when you essentially could be, I won't say it should be 5-0, and oh, but they very well could be 4-1. and one. They've been in every single one of these games they've lost and just found a way to lose games. So you have to look at the question when that happens, but I want to move on too because there's some more interesting stuff to talk about here. But, yeah, there's uh, some more positivity that we can we can delve into. Right. So, all right, this is a. I don't know if you've actually heard this, but I made this for our our uh, <laughs> our top ranked players or top performers. This little sound drop. And I told you, we sat down in that room, and I said, "Hey." I told you, all of my critics, I told you all that I was the greatest of all time. I don't suck compared to you. Like, you, you suck compared to me. <laughs> all right, so all right. Kyron, does his, <laughs> Kyron does his weekly uh, offensive line, uh, performers of the week. So, like, the offensive line is a unit, and he also has an individual offensive player of the week. And we're going to delve into those. I don't know who they are yet. You're going to lay them out on me, and, and we're going to kind of talk through. You're going to explain why, and then I'll more likely than not just agree with you because, you know, <laughs> you know what you're um, talking about. So <laughs> so I want to do the offensive line first because um, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. It's very, very, very cut and dry. My offensive line of the week was easy this week. It's New England, the New England Patriots. Um, I think they had a hell of a game. This is the second game they've had with the young quarterback, the, the rookie out of West Kentucky, Bailey Zappi. Um, the balance they display, and I think this is from a play call standpoint, people have been giving Matt Patricia hell the last three years, and deservedly so. But the game plan was excellent. Even I think even the, the Packers game. Uh, going back to the Ravens game, too, I think he's done a very good job so far. And I didn't think that I was going to say that at this, at this point in the season, but the play call was balanced, and you can only do that when you have that faith and you trust in your offensive line. And that offensive line stepped up and played. 
a hell of a game. Um, I just want to talk about a little bit of the balance. They threw the ball 21 times. They ran the ball 35 times. Like, uh, But a lot of those were just breakouts with Bailey Zappi. Uh, other than that, Ramondre Stevenson had 25 carries himself. Um, he had 25 carries for 161 yards and, excuse me, uh, 6.4 average per carry. He had a long run. He still did. He had a 40-yard run. But other than that, he was, even without that, he still averaged 4.7 4. a carry. And you only can do that in the NFL when your offensive line is blocking it up and you're doing a damn good job in between the trenches and specifically the power run game. Uh, I don't know how Belichick and company does it, but they will find a dominant in the rough anywhere. Um, the kid from Chattanooga, Cole Strange, has been incredible so far. Uh, people were calling them crazy for taking him that high in the draft. And, and look at him now. I mean, he, he's starting balling, doing his thing. Even I'll give him another shout-out for Kyle Duggar. He's turned out to be an incredible um, player so far for where they took him and for the expectation. I wouldn't say he's an elite, um, but he's very, very good. He's a starter in the NFL for sure, and they just find a way to find those guys. But um, like I said, the balance, uh, Bailey Zappi wasn't sacked in his 21 dropbacks. Um, they averaged 6.5 yards per play. Um, like I said, I won't spend too much time on it, but they were just extremely, extremely efficient. And I love the fact that they had so many uh, running first downs. The passing to run first downs were almost equal. And to me, that always goes back um, to offensive line play. When you're able to be that balanced, it's not a, a direct reflection of a quarterback. It's not a direct reflection of just a running back or wide receivers. It's one, a, direction, a direct reflection of coaching. And then it's a direct reflection of how the offensive line is playing. When you're able to have that balance. So big shout out to them. 29-0 win over the Detroit Lions. Um, and kudos because... Uh, I also want to give a shout out to Trent Brown because a lot of people felt like he was over overpaid or somebody else was about to overpay him even more. But I think he is maybe not top three or four, but he's top five to seven tackles in the NFL for sure. He's a pro bowler, a perennial guy, and he deserves it. I don't think he gets enough love for how good he is. So shout out to the uh, Patriots. And so we're moving on here to the performance of the week, um, which – it's going to be another offensive lineman. It's starting to become a trend here. Uh, I, you know, I thought <laughs> Look, long and hard about it. They need love. Yeah, like, I, offensive line needs some love. So I'm glad that we can do that on our show here. Right. So I, I had a very tough time with this one because Taysom Hill had a hell of a game. There's no way we can um, overlook that. I want to shout out three people. Taysom Hill, for his performance, he bought out. Justin Tucker, uh, four made field goals. Um, he was the... I don't want to say he was the offense, but he was the, the scoring production for that team. Um, clutch kick, game-winning field goal. I mean, it's Justin Tucker. We don't have to spend too much time on him. But I think he deserved a lot of love, and he was probably going to be my guy. Um, if Josh Jacobs and the Raiders had won, I would have considered him, and I still you know, think he deserves love. 153 yards on the ground, 7.4 uh, yards per carry, another 40 receiving you know, 7.6 yards there. Um Almost 200 yards total for all purpose and hell of a performance from him, especially considered um, kind of the dysfunctional uh, relationship he and the organization has had. But all that being said, my performance of the week is going to go to New York Jets offensive lineman Elijah Barrett Tucker. I think what he's been able to do the the first five games of this season has been absolutely incredible. I, like I said, uh, we kind of touched on it a second in the podcast earlier this week, but this is his third position he's played in five games in the NFL. Not only just playing, right? You can throw anybody out there and he can try. But he's excelled. I think he's looked better at tackle than he looked at guard. And I thought he was a damn good guard. Like, 
excuse me, I, I'm drawing a blank right now. Was it left or right guard that he started at first? I know you're. So he guy. started at left guard as a rookie, and then he uh-huh. started this season at right, right guard. Right. Then he went to this one game at left, and now right tackle as well. Right, because you're right. It's right guard because he, him, and Beckham were supposed to be uh, some monsters on that right <laughs> side. So that's yeah. so he started at. Yeah. So he's played all four uh, positions outside of center in the first two years of his career. Insane. Not only has he played, he's done very well. So I thought he was uh, coming into his own as, as the top level right guard. Then you throw him out of left tackle. Uh, didn't give up a pressure last week, according to um, a lot of the analytics. I, you know, they're all over the place. Everybody has their own now. So, um, But the consensus was he only gave up one pressure. I saw none, no pressures for some of them. Regardless, one or none, absolutely incredible performance, considering he's not a left tackle. You bump him out to right tackle, and he has a similar performance. Um Absolutely incredible, considering he didn't go up against scrubs. I mean, he, he was going up against a, a first-round pick in Jalen Phillips. He was going up against um, Melvin Ingram. You know, the Dolphins' uh, pass rush hasn't been as good as maybe they had hoped for this year with just those guys. But on any given play, you know, all it takes is one as an offensive lineman. You give up one play, and you can play the other 59 or however many plays you're on the field perfect, and nobody cares. They're just going to remember the sack. So for him to yep. uh, play as well as he has and bounce around and – Everybody only talks about pass protection when it comes to uh, offensive line play. How many sacks did you give up? How many quarterback pressures or hurries? But I urge people, everybody has access to film now. Um, if you pay that uh, NFL Plus, some people, I don't know if you can share it or not. However you get it, ain't none of my business. Go back and watch <laughs> that film and, and the way he played. Watch how he scoops out the backside on, on, on run game. Watch how he gets in there on the double teams and knocks guys over and gets up to the second level. Watch how he blows guys off the ball. Um, it, it, it's just a thing of beauty, and especially when you consider I – don't, I don't think people understand how hard it is from a footwork perspective, number one, and from a mental perspective, two. Guard is totally different from tackle. The, the playbook for me as a guard is Chinese compared to a tackle. Like, it, it's two different languages you have to speak. It's two different languages you have to learn. So for him to not only be able to physically go out there, get the footwork down, he's playing on two different sides um, – you know, as a tackle, my back foot's going to be back more. I'm kicking out further. I'm having to get to more agile, fast guys on the edges. I'm having to gallop step. I'm having to skip pull. I'm having to do more things technique-wise. Um, and guard is much more power-based, um, double teams, chipping with your shoulders, uh, short, choppy footwork, and having to grind it out. It's more grinded out, right? It, it blows my mind that a guy, especially that young, is able to do it. I've seen Zach Martin buck out from guard to tackle and have a, a damn good stretch. But that's Zach Martin. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, he's going to be able to, you know, play as long as he wants to because he's that good health permitting. Um, I will never compare a guy to him. But even I haven't seen Zach Martin be able to bump out from guard to right tackle to left tackle and not miss a beat. Um, absolutely stellar performance. I, I'm just impressed um, to the highest order because I know how much it takes as far as preparation mentally and learning the footwork, the steps over again, the plays. Uh, kudos to him. I had to give it to him. Even though, you know, shout out to those guys, Taysom, Justin Tucker, and uh, Josh Jacobs had a hell of a, hell of games. Josh Allen did too, and I don't want to get used to just brushing over him having another game. When he has a game like that, you should still give him his love and his credit. He threw for, what, 348 in the first half. That, that, that's not normal. That is a stellar performance. However, I think when you just look at the totality of it, the same way I did with Salyer last week, when him stepping in, you know, hasn't, hasn't played a down in NFL football and didn't give up a pressure, a sack, a hurry, 
anything at left tackle. Uh, for this young guy to come in and play three positions in three weeks and excel, absolutely stellar. So he easily gets my performance of the week. Yeah, man. I mean, so first of all, going back to your offensive line of the week, it's it's very impressive because the the defense, they don't have to respect other aspects of your game when you're limited at receiver, when you're limited at quarterback. You know what I mean? Like They can really mm-hmm. tee off on you. They can they can probably feel very comfortable blitzing. They can probably feel very comfortable leaving themselves in single coverage. Now, the quality of the the Lions' defense is, is a completely different story. But right. really, it's like this game is the truest identity of the Patriots. Run the ball and be basically behind a dominant offensive line performance. And they were this. And they were they were they were this with no additional help. You know? And I mean it, it's extremely impressive. Like I, I don't know if that I could I could touch on it as eloquently as you because because of what your background is. But I mean the Patriots have just been such a machine at finding these guys and bringing them right. in and plugging them in and having anybody just do it. Like your your first round tackle goes down, doesn't matter. You got another guy who's just going to come in and play. You just get Michael on Winnie and whatever fourth round, and then he's he's the guy. You know what I mean? You get Trent right. Brown. You he goes somewhere else for a bag, doesn't play as well, you know, and then everybody devalues him again goes back to the Patriots then he's the guy again you know David Andrews the guy Ted Karras looks good with you guys and then you know goes to the Bengals and it's it's just a mess again so I mean I I think a lot of people thought that that era might be over with Dante Scarnecchia retiring Mm -hmm. doesn't look like it (laughs) it looks pretty good to me so the evaluation like like you said I have zero idea how they do it because it's not just the thing that you can watch on film. So I don't know what it is because obviously Cole Strange's FCS film is going to look good. I mean, mine look incredible because when you're a good player on that <laughs> level, you're you're way better than the guys that you're going against, right? So of course the film's going to look lower level G5 guys that obviously the film looks good, right? Most people look good, right? If you're going to be an NFL player, you're never going to have bad film unless you're just one of these projects that are just, you know, just learn how to play football you're three or four years in the game and they just see uh, the physical tools and they can develop you. Uh, or maybe a quarterback can have some spotty film, but the arm talent and the athleticism is so good, you know, they'll take a shot. Other than those two situations, everybody's film is going to look very good as far as an evaluation process coming out of college, if you're even being considered. They're not going to waste their time watching film on a guy that they know they can't play. They're not going to waste their time watching guys on a, a film on a guy that the college coach is going to even like or, or, or see potential mm-hmm. in. So, Whatever it is that goes beyond that, I'd be very interested to like uh, sit in a meeting room and hear what they're talking about. What are they evaluating? Because um, their their discernment is a lot better than everybody else's when it comes to you know finding these diamonds in the roughs. And I love the fact that they don't just take them undrafted or take them late round. No, they're going for it second, third, fourth round. They're going. They're shooting for the stars and they're hitting. Mm-hmm. And at this point, um, they know what they want. They right. know specifically exactly what they want. So kudos to them, man. I don't want to spend too much time on that. You know, we got a couple more things to cover. Before we head out of here, but yeah. you know, hell of a hell of a year for them so far, uh, up front at least. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think they, there's just an incredible attention to detail that starts at the top with them. Um, and they have two two units that they're particularly good at get, finding and developing. Um, maybe three, but I think two in particular. It's offensive line and it's defensive backs. And you alluded to Kyle Duggar earlier. He's just the next one in a long line of guys that, that right. they found, developed, and have been really good. But And, and to t- just touch on Elijah Vera Tucker quickly. Well, quick question. Mm-hmm. Would you say it's harder to transition from left guard to left tackle or right tackle to left tackle? Do you think it's harder to switch position or switch sides? Position, no question. Sides, the hardest thing will be um, just learning the, to kick off the other foot properly, right? Um, especially, mm-hmm. like I know, like I said, uh, way a couple months ago, I was primarily on the right side before I moved to center. But I, I did, you know, play a, a little bit of left tackle, a little bit of left guard. It was much harder for me to get the footwork down on the left side than it was for me on my right side. It was just more natural. I can't explain it how it was. But I'll tell you, the, the most difficult transition I made was from uh, tackle to center. And I think center, when you get the hang of it, it's probably a little easier. But the footwork, I, I wasn't used to being, you know, parallel. Or, you know, we call it bird dogging in, as an offensive line. But, you know, as a center, I would have the, I would have a bad habit of like, you know, cheating the foot back. And that's how I would normally mm-hmm. decide that I was going to anchor and pass protection or go first in the run game. So it became a kind of a habit that, you know, this is like high level football stuff, but a coach is going to be watching and be like, he's going to watch it at a certain amount of times and be like, hey, every time he cheats this leg back, he's going this way. Every time he cheats this leg back, he's going that way. And we call it bird dogging. Mm-hmm. So I had to get out of habit of bird dogging. Um, and that's not necessarily mm-hmm. as much of a problem on the edges, right? But going from guard, where I said everything's more compact, everything's more quick, fast, you have to make decisions faster, you have to anchor more, you have to be more physical. To being out there on an island with Von Miller or Chandler Jones or Mike Crosby or one of the Bosa brothers, like that's a whole different beast in and of itself. I'm not saying one's harder or easier than the other, but it's just totally different. I mean, imagine going from blocking Fletcher Cox and Aaron Donald and having to be on them and anchor and fight that whole fight the whole time and um, really grind it out to jumping out on one of those guys I just mentioned. Uh, and being, you know, subject to all of those moves or uh, being subject to getting swam in the, in the run game and being all over your toes because you used to being aggressive. Um, for him to mm-hmm. be able to make that transition seamlessly three different times this year, because um, like you said, he went from left guard last year to right guard, and he did well. He went from right guard to left tackle, then from left tackle to right tackle. Like, he, he's done it three different times within the course of six months. It's absolutely incredible. So let me ask you another question. How much juice juice how much juice do you think that it brought the Jets offensive unit when everyone's out there in practice that week? They know that this is probably what he's going to have to do. And then he just goes out there and just shows it because for sure he's doing this in practice, too. Like, I mean, everybody's got to be recognizing that coaches, players like there's got to be a level of confidence that can spark an entire unit from a guy performing like that in practice leading up to a game you you're the one who would have experienced this more than me but tell me i'm wrong oh no you're not wrong and i think that one thing that we can't overlook is um Dwayne brown's presence and it's twofold because a lot of people would just look at it like oh this is a veteran leader right he's going to come in and teach the young guy the roads but it's almost and it could very well be that and i wouldn't be shocked because i don't know Dwayne that well my uncle does and my uncle speaks very highly of him um, I had some old teammates to play with him, and they spoke very highly of him. Um, so I would assume that was the case. But it all—it could also be like, hey, they don't believe that much in us up front. 
they're going out to get everybody they can. Um, they're going out to get this all pro pro bowl guy. Maybe we need to step our game up and play better. So this guy doesn't, you know, it could be a lot of that as well. So why, however the situation played out is work for the benefit of that group because they've been maligned with injuries. They've had a lot of, you know, up and down play as a unit, but over the last three weeks of the season, I think um, they're starting to gel and figure it out. And especially him individually, um, and like I said, I would assume that Dwayne is giving him a ton of corners, a ton of help as far as he looks like the game is slower for him this year. It looked like he was uh, pressing a lot last year. He was um, too, either too aggressive or too tentative um, at times. I think he's just playing free and with keys. And normally that happens when the game slows down mentally for you. So I would assume that he's mm-hmm. been uh, instrumental in helping the game slow down, especially when he went out there to tackle, giving them uh, pointers and help there. So uh, I would think that that would be a situation. But, yeah, that definitely gives the team a ton of juice and not just for the offensive line, but the entire unit um, and yeah. your young quarterback. I mean, your young quarterback seeing a guy play that well, the, the young running back, Brees Hall, shout out to him. He had a hell of a game, but like um, not just offensive line, the entire team and the coaching staff, because the coaching staff has been under fire. You know, they haven't been necessarily received that well. So um, it gives them a little juice because now I had my coaching staff can go and my personnel groups can go to the, to the owners and the front office guys and be like, Hey, look, Look at this guy panning out. Look at look how well Jermaine Johnson looks right now. Look at Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore. Those so the young guys that they picked, minus the quarterback, have been pretty damn good so far. So uh, I know Beckett's had the injury, and you know Wilson's still figuring it out. But they they've done pretty damn well in the draft, and as far as supplying the team with young talent. So I think overall, yeah. sitting at three and two at this point in the season, nobody would have probably predicted that. Um, and you get a division. I, so. I did. I I did. To be fair, I like. I will. Right. But, but like, I may, you. maybe you can attribute. Maybe you can attribute some of that to homerism. Maybe you can't. But I really pride myself strongly on not being ridiculous in that sense. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've been do. I've been covering NFL via podcast for this is the third straight year. So 2021, 2020, and I picked the Jets to make a wild card berth this year. I did not in either of the other two years. So it's not like there's something that I just do every single year. I honestly thought there was a very real chance that they could do it. And I also was comfortable because even though I knew people would laugh at me initially, mm-hmm. I knew that even if they didn't make it, they would be a lot closer than people would expect. That they would be just on the outside by the end of the year. And right. I, I mean, nothing's written in stone yet, obviously. You know, three and two is only three and two. But... They do get to go up against the Lions. They do get to go up against the Bears. They are probably going to win a good number more games this year either way. So I'll digress on the Jets right now. It's good to see them doing well. It's good to see the young players performing exceptionally well. Um, Now let's jump into the roundup for the week. All right. So the first thing is um, you've got my power rankings there. We don't have to go through the whole thing. But I just wanted you to either point out one where where you say either your take is that I ranked them well versus maybe what the perception is uh, nationally, or you think I have someone misranked based on the way that you perceive them. Okay, so first of all, let's start with the good, right? I think that you have the Ravens and the Bucks <laughs> properly rated at four and five. Uh, they're interchangeable there. That's where I have them as well. Um, I also think that you're fair to the Dolphins right now with the quarterback situation. A lot of people have dropped them to um, 19 and 20, I've seen some absurd stuff. And, um, you know, you can't play hypotheticals, but if he were 
Uh, if Tua were to be playing, you would assume there'd be four and one, five and zero at worst. Um, so I think a lot of people have been up there with the quarterback situation, especially considering most of the teams in this area are three and two. Um, and it's and, you know it's going to be controversial, but I think the Bills and the Chiefs are too high, and I think the Packers are too low. I think uh, the Bills, when they look good, they look very good, right? But the Bills can realistically be three and two. Maybe even two and three right now. Like on the other hand, they could look. They but could they're four, not though. They could be four <laughs> and one. But I think there's no way we can. I see too many power rankings with the Eagles not being number one. You got we got to put some respect on the Eagles, man. Like they're undefeated and they're they're not just winning games, right? Um, they're playing like the most balanced team in football. And I get like power rankings might not necessarily be like everybody has a subjective view of what that actually means. But to me, it's right. like. If they're undefeated and nobody else is undefeated, they probably have the highest number under a quarterback, the most balanced defense um, and offense in the league. Uh, There's no way they can't be number one for me. Uh, and I think people are just panicking way too hard on the Packers. You don't have them like ridiculously low. They're at 13, right? But I've seen a lot of people with the Packers like a 20, 21. So I'm just like, what are y'all watching? Like, why are y'all freaking out? Like, it's Aaron Rodgers. It's the Packers. They're, they will figure it out. They always do. Um, in, in the games that they've lost, they got blown out the first game, but they probably should have won this game this past weekend. Like, um, great comeback by the Giants. And I see, I think the Giants are too low on a little, uh, some people's list as well. I think you have them properly rated at 12. I mean, they can be a little bit higher. I have no problem with them being like bottom half of the top 10 or, um, somewhere down there. But, uh, I do want to ask you about one because it's very, very interesting to me. Uh, and this is the most interesting to me. Uh, the Chargers at eight and the Saints at 11. I'm all the way out on the Chargers. I have zero faith in them, <laughs> mostly to do with their coach, not necessarily the personnel. I'm not a I'm not a Staley believer, and the Saints at 11 is interesting to me because that's higher than I've seen them on anybody else. So, and I don't necessarily disagree. I think they're going to finish the season very strong here. So I just wanted to see why you had them where you did. Okay, so for, let's start with the Saints. Saints, yeah. you've said this many times. They are the most complete team, or maybe not the most, but they are one of the most complete teams in the NFL. Right. They've got skill players, they've got an offensive line, they've got coverage, and they've got pass rush. They've got linebackers. I mean, there are so few teams in the NFL that have legit linebacker play, and they're one of them. I think they're getting comfortable. I think that was a big-time win that they just had this week, and, and I try not to let a single week move my rankings too much right but i i was impressed i was genuinely impressed with what they did not just you know not just like gimmicky stuff with with Taysom hill those were well-timed play calls they were very effective and i didn't know what they were going to look like without sean payton being there yep i didn't know what they were going to look like when their first round tackle got injured which was like always seemed like a bit precarious, but they've rallied. They're playing well. Chris Olave is legit. It stinks that he got a concussion because he got the, he, he hit the turf hard in that game and, and hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later, but he is legit. He is very, very good. Um, and they just look like they can, they can win missing guys. And that's a big part of, of, of what gets you on this list for me. High. If you can win, through attrition, that's how you're going to be winning in January. 
So, I, I mean, there's a lot of teams like, like, I know the Dolphins had a lot, but it's like, it, and probably when you have a seventh round rookie in there, it, it's harder than, than if you have Andy Dalton, who has plenty of skins on the wall himself, to say what you want about him. But I, I, I just, I really, I like the Saints. I don't know if they are going to be really, truly competitive when the chips are on the table in January. I don't. But yeah. right now, I mean, it, it's hard for me to justify putting a lot of other teams ahead of them. I mean, too many flaws. The teams that are directly under them, uh, Giants, Packers, Bengals, Raiders, Jets, Rams, Browns. I mean, there's there's something wrong with all of those teams. There's something wrong with all of them. You know what I mean? And, and the Saints, there isn't except for, you know, some what looked to be temporary injuries. So for them, that was my take on them. As far as the Chargers, um, I, I just don't want to let one week color my opinion too, too strongly. I don't love how last year they didn't close it out and make the playoffs when it was their game to win. I did not love that. Um, they're the young team with all the talent. I guess so I get that. I think some of the decision-making has been pretty questionable, and we've talked about that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I have a really high-quality justification for this, except that they will eventually get Joey Bosa back. Right, so I don't want to. If I'm not lowering the 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 Dolphins too much because they're without Tua, I don't want to lower the Chargers too much because they're without Keenan Allen and they're without Joey Bosa. Um, I just think that they're too talented. I really, really think that they're too talented, and I just need to see them prove to me more that they don't deserve to be there. I mean, because they were in my top ten before this week, so why after just one single performance am I gonna? drop them way down um yeah, I, I mean we I, talked I about you. them a little bit give give me give me give me some reasons why you think aside from just staley because if it's just the head coach well it's not and, just and offensively health is I, one okay go ahead go ahead health is one for sure i mean i i think when we take this into consideration you have to uh and i do because i have the dolphins down at like nine and ten as well but if we're just using those two as the examples, um, if they're not healthy, then it doesn't matter how talented they are on paper. Two, the run defense is terrible, like just bad. Like, there's no, there's no offensive buzz about it. And I don't think any of that gets fixed when Joey Bosa comes back. Joey Bosa is going to help the pass rush. He's going to be help set the edge a little bit, right? But the, the interior of the D-line is the issue. Linebacker play is the issue. And that won't be fixed when he comes back. Same thing with Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen comes back, it's going to give – her, but another consistent um, intermediate to short yardage threat. Uh, but his bread and butter is not stretching the field, which is what they need and what they're lacking with that offense. That doesn't mean he's not a premier receiver, that he's not going to come back and not going to help. Of course he's going to come back and help. Um, but Rashawn Slater's out for the year. He's not going to come back. That's going to um, hinder the offensive line. Um, the inconsistency in which Austin Eckler gets his carries and touches um, is going to hamper them. And that goes back to decision-making, whether it's Staley at the top, you know, he's a defensive guy, but 
it, it, it's just way too weird for him to be getting five carries one game when he's totally healthy and then getting 16 carries and doing what he did last week against the, the Browns. So the inconsistency in the philosophy offensive, offensively, the injuries, um, the problem areas outside of what they had injury-wise, I just don't see them being a legit contender. I mean, let's be honest. Staley tried to give that game away Sunday. I mean, uh, you know, K. York misses the field goal at the end of the game, but I didn't leave that game being impressed with um, the Chargers. I haven't left a game this year um, being impressed with the Chargers. Maybe last week I left because, you know, it was Jamar Sawyer and his coming out party, but it was still the Texans. I mean, it's not like they were, you know, they'd be, uh, a top tier team. Other than that, they've been disappointing every week to me. So I think that's why I'm just out on them. But other than that, it's like they're talented. It's like, as you said, we still have to see it more. We have to see it. Yeah. I don't know. I, we, we'll see. They're tentatively eight for now. So I, I, I think the biggest thing about them, the biggest issue I have with it more than anything else is that considering all the talent they have, they do not have a clear identity. I mean, you look at all the other best teams in the league. You look at the Bills, Chiefs, Eagles, Ravens, Bucks, Cowboys, 49ers, Vikings, Vikings maybe slightly less so, but Dolphins, Saints, Giants, Packers, even the Bengals, vaguely. They all have an identity, especially offensively. I think all good teams. Chargers are – yeah, I agree. I agree. And so there is that that factor – it's kind of a difficult thing to quantify. It's it's almost more of a feeling than anything when you're just watching these games. I don't know. They won. They still have Justin Herbert. Keenan Allen will be back. We'll we'll see. Um, but I don't know. I I hear you. I really do. I do. It's just there's a belief in in Herbert and 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 just the overall talent pool there. But. All right, unfortunately, that is where we lost the rest of our episode to a corrupted file, but we were fortunately able to uh, keep most of it, so you got the majority of it there. Thank you all so much for listening to our Monday Night Football recap and Formers of Week 5 episode. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean, and you can find Kyron at Kyron Samuels and the Gridiron Heroics Twitter account at Gridiron Heroics. You can also find Kyron on all of his watch playback uh, uh, live streams so please go check him out there we lost his uh, plug there so i wanted to make sure i got it in now we will be back tomorrow with our big midweek episode which means we will be covering injuries news fantasy and of course the college football week that was with max chadwick before jumping into thursday night football preview for amazon prime please do like subscribe follow rate review everything that you do Where you listen helps us out tremendously. Thank you all so much, and we will see you all very soon.